Shalom everyone. It's such an honor for me to be here with you tonight. I'm excited. Um, tonight we're talking about the rapture. We're talking about end times kind of stuff. Uh, exciting things, interesting things, uh, especially I guess within the time we're living in. Uh, we're living in a time of, can we call it calamity, uncertainty? People are asking the question of when is Jesus coming back? What does that even look like? Today, we're going to explore some of those things and we're going to see what does the Bible say, say about it. We talked about a lot of these things in my teaching that I just put out. It's called Raptured, Testing the Pre-Tribulation Rapture. And in that teaching, I went, it's a long one, it's an in-depth one, but it's, 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 I think it will be helpful. If you haven't watched it, go have a look at that teaching. Um, it was really a deep study that I put a lot of work into covering all the most popular verses regarding his coming back and, the, on the, and what the timeline looks like about while we don't know the day or the hour, we will know the season and we will know, we, we ought to know kind of what the order of things will be like. All right. This is not a salvation issue. This is not an issue worth splitting your church over, like I've said before, but it is important still. All right. So what we're going to do in this is this, this is called the Q&A. This is a question and answer session. This is going to be me talking about some of the verses and arguments and things brought forth uh, regarding this topic that I was not able to co uh, cover in my in-depth teaching because there's so much, so many opinions on this out there. And um, so in here, we're going to talk about a few more of them. So um, before I head into that, I just want to say uh, one thing, you know, uh, we are excited because we're heading into the feast days of God, the feast of trumpets, um, the, the day of atonement is thereafter. And then we have the festival of Sukkot or tabernacles. And this is why we're talking about these events, because the, the feast of trumpets is intricately connected to end times prophecy. Um, so. We're going to actually be celebrating these feasts. You know, if you're in the US and we're, we're going to be going to three different states to celebrate these feasts with you all. If you're uh, we're going to be in uh, Burley, Idaho on 19 to, to 20 September, we're going to be in Lincolnton, Georgia, 3 October and Bend, Oregon, 8 to 10 October for Trumpets and Sukkot. So uh, go to our website, riseonfire.com slash events. If you're interested in finding out more and if you maybe you can join us, it'd be amazing to meet you. Um, so anyway, let's dive right in. Um, this is going to be a few questions that I've already that I already have here. Uh, we're not going to be doing um, things from the questions from the live chat today, but um, I think these are going to be helpful for you. The first we're, I'm first going to tell you which ones I'm going to go through. Some of them are going to be um, is Matthew 24 for Jewish people only? And then next question, the pre-tribulation rapture, is that a hidden mystery that's hidden exclusively in parables? And then another question in Revelation, why are there people already in the air when God comes down to pour out his wrath? Are those people people who are already raptured before the tribulation or who are those people and why are they there? Um, next question would also be, you know, some say the church isn't mentioned after Revelation 4 because we're raptured before the tribulation occurs and we, we're not in anything that Revelation describes after Revelation 4 because the church isn't mentioned there, right? And then this one also uh, is uh, the last question is Arrhenius, did he teach a pre-tribulation rapture view in his writings? Because he's a popular early church writer and he was he knew what was well, he was he had an opinion and it would be interesting to see what he had to say. Many people say he taught a pre-trip position. We're going to look at that, too. All right. So let's dive right into that first question here. Uh, the first one is Matthew 24 for the Jews only. This is what um, the man sent and who asked this question, he said, Matthew 24, verse 29 to 31. Why didn't I get this years ago? I have read it many times after the tribulation of those days. 
after. That is the key to those three verses. I showed this to my uh, two Assembly of God pastors, and they both did not want to hear it. The one said the chapter is only for Jewish people. It seems to be written to the Jewish people, but also for believers everywhere. But could you tell me what I could say to those who say it's only for Jewish people? Thank you for your input on the post and pre-trip question. All right. So uh, the, the, the question is, is, is Matthew 24, which is where Jesus went and he basically explained like the whole thing right there. He just gave it there. It's an imp important piece of scripture, but is what he said there exclusively for the Jewish people? You know, if it was, that would be that would have deep consequences because that means that um, not everything is covered. It means that, you know, we we now have to look for, OK, what happens to non-Jews elsewhere? So how do we know uh, who Matthew 24 is written to and who needs to be reading it as if it as if it applies to them. It's pretty simple. We simply need to understand in the first century who was Jesus speaking to when he was talking and telling them what we read in Matthew 24. So when we read Matthew 24, he tells us, he says in Matthew 24, verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus is speaking to his disciples in private. He's not talking to unbelieving, you know, maybe certain Pharisees who didn't believe in him, who were not born again, who are, you know, or, or, or unbelievers of some other sort or, or just unbelieving Jews. Or he was speaking to his disciples, the people who are closest to him. The, if we look at the disciples today, we would consider them the most born again believers that have ever lived, likely because they walked with them. All right. And he gave them great honor, even 12 thrones in the kingdom of heaven. So they are definitely not unsaved Jews. Let me say just like that. But they are Jewish, right? They are Jewish. Fair enough. The, the disciples were Jewish. So does that mean that uh, Matthew 24 is only for Jewish people? Well, that wouldn't really make sense, right? Because here's the thing, if it was only why would God treat, give Jewish people, even saved Jews, tribulation, great tribulation. But the Christian, no, you don't have to do that. That, that. that makes no sense. The father says and Paul writes, he says, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. We're all one in Christ. Right. And uh, so here's the thing, uh, even the pre-tribulation rapture position, they believe that. Typically, they believe that Matthew 24 is written to unsaved for unsaved Jews and that it is the unsaved Jews that will be going through that great tribulation. But Yeshua is speaking privately to believing disciples. He's not speaking and he's telling them about you guys. This is what is happening to you. This is if you were going to live to the end. This is what you will experience. And so, brothers and sisters, because he's speaking to born again believers, it is just as relevant to us if we consider ourselves born again believers. All right. Um, just further, I mean, if it was the case that Matthew 24 exclusively applies to Jewish people or unbelieving Jewish people and not to anyone who calls himself a believer, by the way, there was no Christian. I, the idea of a Christian, you know, was really only came later at the point when he was speaking here to them. They were they were Jews and they believe they followed Yeshua, Jesus, who was a Jew. And this movement just barely started. This was not the thing we call Christianity today. It was a very small thing. And so. He's talking to them and he's saying, you guys, um, 
this this is what I'm telling you will happen. So he never and when he tells them what will happen, he never specifies. This is the big thing. He never specifies and says, by the way, this great tribulation, you don't need to worry about that because you're not going to be here for that. Or some people won't be there for that. They don't need to worry about that. He, he doesn't say that in Matthew 24. He talks about only about immediately after the tribulation of those days when people uh, when he will come back and gather his people. And then after that event, he pours out the wrath of God. OK, so the question is, is, you know, where does this theory come from? Why do people try and make it say that Matthew 24 is for Jews? It simply is because Matthew 24 is a massive problem for the pre-tribulation position, a massive problem because it describes in detail how there is a, a, a if you want to call it a rapture event, a gathering up that happens immediately after the tribulation. So they have to try and explain who that's for, <laughs> because you know, it has to, if it, we have to then say, no, it has to be a different people group who that's for. If we say, no, there, there must be a different rapture somewhere else before any of this. That's the only way we can get away with a pre-tribulation position. And so, um, our sisters, I want to submit to you that, that we don't need to go there. Like this theory is coming from that place. It's really not coming from the right place. <laughs> so, all right, let's go on to the next question. Uh, question number two, the pre-tribulation rapture, a hidden mystery. Some say the pre-tribulation rapture is not clearly explained in scripture because it is a hidden mystery that can only be found in some of Jesus's parables. Is this true? OK, so the argument is, is the pre-tribulation rapture is very much not well explained in scripture in plain words at least but rather it's hidden in parables so okay you know the thing with parables is that um, parables are very symbolic oftentimes and we can easily read things into parables we can easily make parables say many different things if you ask someone about a parable and someone else oftentimes they'll have different opinions because it's a parable and they extract their interpretation from that. So I'm just I'm not saying parables. I mean, I, I love the parables of our Messiah. They're wonderful. They have deep spiritual meaning. But we have to be careful to not use a parable solely alone, just a parable and extrapolate from that an entire doctrine. Because whatever the Messiah, you will find that whatever the Messiah have explained to us or his disciples or the people in parables in other places, he explained also in plain words. In fact, um, let me read to you what he says here. Um, uh, he, he said in um, Mark 4 verse 34, he did not say anything to them, his disciples, without a, excuse me. He did not say anything to them talking about the crowds without a parable, but privately he explained everything to his own disciples. So just like we read, do you guys remember we just read in Matthew 24, verse three, how the disciples came to him privately asking, tell us about the end. Tell us how what the sign is. Tell us how it's going to be privately. And, and in, in Mark 4, 34, he says he explained everything to his disciples in plain words, plain words, everything. He did not keep hidden secrets from them that were in parables. The parables were only for the crowds, the people who weren't his disciples. That is what he just said in Mark 4 verse 34. So this idea that that Messiah hid the idea of the pre-tribulation rapture, he never told them because it was hidden away somewhere in his parables is not what the Bible says. The Bible says he explained everything to his disciples in plain words. And that's why in Matthew 24, he's talking in plain words. He's not giving them a parable, plain words when he explains what the end of time looks like. And it's not just a Matthew 24. You know, we have in many places of scripture where this in this timeline is explained, you know, including you know, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 1, Luke 21, the book of Revelation. These, these places 
or recounting things happening in the end and none of them are, are explaining in plain language that, that, that there is a pre-tribulation rapture that is separate and different from this post-tribulation rapture and that there are these two rapture events and one is, yeah. So um, that's what I think we should remember when it comes to parables. It's very important for us to keep that in mind, right? Um, so I hope this makes sense, brothers and sisters. You know, the, the Messiah spoke plainly as to a child. You know, he, he, when he talked to his disciples, he knew that his words would be written down for us to read 2,000 years later. And he is explaining these things to his disciples and he's explaining it like a child could understand it. That's why if you read Matthew 24, honestly, it is so clear and wonderfully presented the way he speaks it. And in there, there's no pre-tribulation rapture event. There's only one immediately after the tribulation. All right. So, by the way, if you've if, if many of these things you haven't really heard, I encourage you to please watch my teaching I just released called Raptured. Um, testing the pre-tribulation rapture, because I talk about a lot of the things that is the context behind a lot of what I'm speaking about right now. All right. Okay. So let's head into this next question. And now we're going to talk about the book of Revelation, because I know that many people love to talk, bring in the book of Revelation. Of course, it's a good book to bring in with this topic. And this question especially is relevant. In Revelation, why are there people already in the air when God comes down to pour out his wrath? It seems as if these people were raptured before the tribulation and have been residing in heaven ever since. All right. All right, guys, so good question, right? Um, now, if we unpack Revelation, right, this is uh, happening in Revelation 19. And if to just give some context of where we are in Revelation, in Revelation 18, that is where God talks about the judgments of Babylon. And he starts, he, he talks, this is reminiscent of, you know, what we would call uh, the, the Great Tribulation, likely, you know, it's really just, uh, judgments happening on the world. Revelation 19 is where we are with this question. And, and that is where he talks about this multitude praising in heaven. Okay. And there, are, and I'll read it for you. Revelation 19 verse six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty um, peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. OK, and then in verse uh, just two verses later, Three verses later, in verse 11, he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And then it continues to talk about how he comes and he pours out, in essence, God's wrath, uh, and he judges the world. This is like the big pouring out of the wrath of God that follows. So we have this great tribulation. We have people then in heaven. It, it just jumps to this place, this next chapter, Revelation 19, where it's, it talks about these, mul these multitudes of people praising God in heaven. And then it talks about um, uh, the, the wrath of God being poured out. So is it, the question is, is, is it that these people in the, this, these multitudes praising God in heaven were people who were raptured before the tribulation who've been waiting in heaven um, and now we are where we are with the wrath. So first off, we need to understand that in this account of Revelation where he, he speaks, he's not telling us when these people were raptured. OK, he is not telling us whether these, these multitudes in heaven were raptured before the tribulation, great tribulation ever started or whether they were recently in the middle of the tribulation, but before the wrath, raptured or, or gathered up. 
He does not tell us that in this chapter of Revelation. So this is not sufficient. We can't go and say that this is evidence that they were raptured before the tribulation because he never specifies it. All we know is that they're in the air before the wrath is poured out. You see, that's all we know is they're in the air. And we know that this is this is in line with even the post-tribulation rapture viewpoint, because the post-tribulation rapture viewpoint believe people we they believe that there is um, a, a gathering up of his people and they're going to be up there in the heavens. They're not on earth. They're in the heavens when Yeshua comes down and pours out the wrath, that final battle. And it would be kind of obvious for when they go up to be praising God and worshiping him. And I mean, man, I, I would be I'm sure you would be. We would all be worshiping and praising him if we're gathered up, even especially in the midst if we were gathered in the midst of a tribulation and saved from great trial. All right. So um, what's interesting is it does still fit in the Matthew 24 timeline. This is not really extra information that's being being given here in the book of Revelation. Um, but what I do want to say uh, is, is what we do see is or what we what we should keep in mind is, is we're not entirely sure when when we are after the, the gathering up of the people, the amount of time between them being gathered up, even let's just say we're talking about a post tribulation gathering up like Matthew 24 explains immediately after the tribulation, we're not entirely sure how long exactly there is before God actually pours out the wrath. Is it many people have many beliefs. Okay, some believe it's in the same day that, you know, he gathers up his people and then he pours out the wrath. Some believe it's 10 days later called the 10 days of all, you know, between the, the Feast of Trumpets and David Atonement. Uh, if you know about the feast days, you'd understand what I mean. Um, other people believe it happens at Sukkot. OK, there's there's many opinions. However, what everyone usually agrees on is that it happens in a short span of time and that this is not something that's going to take a very long time, that there is going to be the gathering up. And then shortly thereafter, there's going to be the 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 wrath of God being poured out. And so it would be that would make it fine for, you know, even because in Revelation here, it just tells us about these people in heaven and they're in the heavens, right? They're up there and they're worshiping him. And then he comes down and destroys with the wrath coming down. And that's that's OK. That that makes sense. That doesn't prove really uh, one way or the other, because it doesn't specify when those people were raptured. It only says they were there. But I want to before I end off with this question, I do want to say that there is an interesting thing I want to propose to you here in, in this chapter of Revelation. And but let me preface this with saying that this is just my opinion. All right. And I want you to, to look into it yourself more. When we look at earlier on in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter seven, specifically from verse nine, we read about a very very similar event with of, of these people in the heavens worshiping the th him. And let me read this for you. Verse nine, Revelation seven. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude. OK, first off, same thing. Great multitude, just like in the we just read in the other part uh, of Revelation 19. There was a great multitude as well. So you say I saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 13, Then, the one, then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So he talks about also there's a great multitude worshiping in heaven. God, very similar to the previous account. But is it the same? 
Because if it's the same, he in this account actually does say where they come from. And it says that they came out of the Great Tribulation. They were in the Tribulation. They did not get raptured before it. So is there a way that we can see if they're linked? I want to submit to you, I believe they are. Because we see that in Revelation 7 verse 9, that, that, that when, when they're worshiping the Lord, they're waving palm branches. Palm branches. And if you know anything about the appointed times of God, the feast of the Lord, you would know at what feast we were that we are commanded to wave palm branches. Sukkot, right? And at the feast of Sukkot is exactly where Revelation 19 is described to be happening around because they're saying in 19 verse 7, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. That's what Sukkot is. It talk, it's the marriage supper of the lamb. So they're both giving us indications that they are worshiping God and waving the palm branches. And the one account are saying the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. The other one, they're waving it because that's what you do when the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, because that's what you do at Sukkot. In fact, let me read it to you where we were originally instructed. Leviticus 23 verse 40. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. That seven days is the seven day marriage supper of the Lamb celebration because that's the wedding feast. That's what it's all about. That's where we're going. That's the end. That's like when at the way, way end, what happens? So it really does seem. Like both accounts are speaking about the same thing. The one is in Revelation chapter 7, the one's Revelation chapter 19, but they're, it's talking about the same event just in different parts, I believe personally. And, um, and we know it's not, by the way, we know it's not Sukkot. I know that at Sukkot, you know, the palm branch thing is also associated with that. But we know, oh, excuse me, I misspoke. We know it's not Passover because uh, we know. I know that at Passover, there's also the palm branch thing and um, the association is there. However, we know that Passover is not happen. It's not the feast of Passover when the Lord is coming back. It's around the feast of trumpets. And we know that Sukkot is shortly after the feast of trumpets, mere days after it. So, you know, we have the feast of trumpets, we have the day of atonement and then a couple of days later, uh, feast of Sukkot. So this is certainly speaking about those feasts, the full unfulfilled full feasts, which Sukkot um, forms a part of. All right. I know this is a lot of information, but I hope that you guys could could get what I'm follow me here. Regardless, um, if you don't see that what I just described, it's not a problem because regardless of this, Revelation 19 still does not tell us whether the people in the air were raptured before or after or where uh, in, the, in, in the tribulation timeline. OK, um, but I, I will say that if, you know, um, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. All right. <laughs> OK, um, by the way, if anyone wants to know more about, you know, the feast days, Feast of Sukkot and to understand more of what I was talking about, uh, I have a video called Becoming a Fountain of Loving Water. Sukkot. And um, if you just uh, search that on our channel, you'll find a teaching where I dive deeper into that topic. All right. So let's go into our next question. Some say the church isn't mentioned after Revelation chapter four, because we were raptured before these things occur. OK, let me have a drink of water here. All right. So this is a very common argument I've used. I've, I've heard it used often um, by people as well. And it's simply that, you know, the church isn't mentioned after when we come to Revelation chapter four, it seems that it's not even mentioned after that anymore. So therefore, it's because the church isn't around anymore because they've been raptured up. And that's why. OK, so let's investigate that. You know, this is a argument of what we call an argument of silence. And simply it means that if we say just because a certain word is not in a 
text, that means that that group of people aren't there at all. Or, you know, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's, it's a fallacy because if we were going to apply that to just, for example, you know, the gospel of John, let's just make an example. And we say, if the, if the word church is not in the gospel of John, then it can't apply to the church because it isn't. The word church is not in the entire, not just in some parts, but the entire gospel of John does not have the word ecclesia, the word that is the Greek word that is translated as church. So are we going to say that the gospel of John, we should not care about it because it's not for us? And you know, no, we will never do that. Right? That doesn't make any sense. But yet, why do we do that with Revelation? Say, oh, well, the church isn't mentioned in these certain chapters of Revelation. Therefore, no, none of that applies to us anymore. We don't have to worry because we've been raptured. That, how could that be evidence? That's not, that's not a good way of going about it, guys. Um, what we do, however, see, while we don't see the word church specifically mentioned, we do see the word saints mentioned. We see the words bondservant mentioned, which these in the New Testament always refers to people who are born again believers, right? Saints, bondservants, Paul calls himself one, you know, a bondservant himself even. And those people are mentioned throughout Revelation. Like, for example, you know, um, Revelation 13, verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Talking about how the Antichrist will make war with the saints in the Great Tribulation. Um, and furthermore, you know, we have the, 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 the body of Christ is also described within Revelation, throughout Revelation in various ways, even if it's not in the word of saint or bondservant, he says in other ways, for example, in Revelation 12 verse 17, it says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The people who keep the commandments and hold to the testimony, the faith of Christ, those people are by definition the body of Christ. They are believers. They are born again. They are saved. That's... That's it. So to say, oh, the word church is not there. So the church can't be around. It's impossible. That that doesn't make sense. All right. You know, the reason that this argument is brought up is because in many in the minds of many Christians, um, the word, the, the idea of the church and Israel is very distinct. Okay. Different. But we need to remember that in Romans chapter 11, Paul clears this up and he says that Gentiles or people who aren't considered native born Israelites, when they become believers, they are grafted into Israel. They become as the native born, just like in Egypt, uh, excuse me, in the Exodus after they came out of Egypt, the God say Moses said, you know, God said through Moses that you ought to treat the mixed multitude, the Gentiles, if you will, that came out of Egypt with them as the native born. You treat them the same. You don't treat them differently. It was there the case and today is the case the same. God even says furthermore that there's no Jew, there's no Greek, no Jew, no Gentile. We're all one in Christ. We're all we become one with them. We're grafted into Israel. We now become part of Israel. We're part of, uh, we're all seen as the same through Christ as if we believe, whether you're a Jew, whether you're not, he sees you as Israel, right? So this idea that the church and Israel is two different things and this this desire for from those who believe the pre-tribulation rapture, they, they have this desire to say the church and Israel, Israel, the, the great tribulation was designed for the Jew and for Israel and the church escapes it. It's from that idea that we're hoping to gain something by saying, well, the church is not uh, mentioned in, in Revelation in certain parts, so therefore it's not there, which is a, a bad argument as we discussed already. Um, to just drive this one point further, and I'll end with this in this question. The, the word that's used in the Septuagint, okay, the Septuagint, Septuagint 
is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. All right, and that's three centuries around before Christ ever came. Okay, that text refers to Israelites when it uses the word, the same word as used for church. So the Septuagint doesn't even make a, a separation. In the Old Testament, it uses the word that we could use for church in the Greek, and that it uses it for Israel in the Old Testament even. So even there, there is no distinction is not made in the language. And so therefore, I want to submit to you that we shouldn't do that either. And that when we talk about the ecclesia, that simply means what it is in the Greek, assembly. It just means that. It means an assembly. It means a gathering of people. That's all that it means. And it could be of any form. All right. So I hope that that clears that up for you guys. So I'm going to move on to the last question here. And this one I think is important too. It's a, uh, it's regarding Iranians. And this is important for those of you who don't know who Iranius is. He was very, he's a very important and popular figure that was around in the early church period. He's seen as a church father, if you will. And so um, he was quite a while after the apostles, don't get me wrong, but he was still um, close, relatively close to them in terms of, you know, basically we have uh, Iranius is connected to, he had kind of a relationship. Uh, he knew about Polycarp, at least we know he knew about him. He heard some sermons from Polycarp and Polycarp was very closely um, in contact with the apostles of whom John the Evangelist was, uh, you know, among, of course. So uh, basically this guy is often seen as, hey, he has a lot of insight in what he wrote regarding what the people knew about in the early church period. Now, the question is, is did they know about a pre-tribulation rapture? Did they believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Some people say that Iranians taught that. This is a new thing I've seen that came out and I want to address it for you um, because then you could address it too. So here's his, his, here's what he said in his book. His book is called Against Heresies and this is book five in chapter 29. And he says this, and this is really what's referred to when people try and say that he is saying that the church will be raptured before the tribulation. Okay, let's look at it. And therefore, when in the end, the church shall be suddenly caught up from this, it is said, quote unquote, there shall be tribulation such as not been since the beginning, neither shall be ever again. Matthew 24, verse 21. He's quoting that and he says, for this is the last contest of the righteous in which when they overcome, they are crowned with incorruption. Okay, so he is some have said from the pre-tribulation viewpoint, they have said that here he is saying that there is an immediately catching up of the believers before the tribulation. But is that what he is saying? If you read really carefully, you will see that he is saying, and therefore, when, okay, saying the word when, which is he's, he's giving a time frame, he's saying, and therefore, when in the end, the church shall be suddenly caught up from this, it is said, and then he quotes Matthew 24, there shall be tribulation. So he is not saying before the tribulation, we will be caught up. He is saying when. It is the period of the tribulation. The people will be caught up. The believers will be caught up. And to just prove this further, when we read the next like verse, the next sentence, he says, this is referring to the great tribulation because he just quoted Matthew 24. And he says, this is the last contest of the righteous in which when they overcome, they are crowned of incorruption. So he is saying, why would he say that the, the, this, this Matthew 24, verse 21, where it says there shall be tribulation? Why would he say that this is the last contest if the believers won't be around for it? 
You see what I mean? He is actually saying they will be going through the tribulation because that will be the last contest. That will be the last big trial. That will be the last big test that they will go through. And then when they overcome, they are crowned with incorruption. In this verse, he is saying they will go through it. He's just telling us when and he's saying when. And he's saying the church will be suddenly caught up when it is written. And he says, quotes Matthew 24, there shall be tribulation. So it has not been from the beginning. Neither shall be. I encourage you to go read this for yourself. Uh, uh, it's in uh, Against Heresies, book five, chapter 29 of Iranius. All right. Um, so um, I think it's clear that he is he is. This is actually proof for a post tribulation idea where they are at least they're in the tribulation in the midst of it. They're being tried. And then so, somewhere in there, they are caught up. And yeah, so brothers and sisters, I think that's clear. You know, he's also directly quoting from Matthew 24 there where we know that Matthew 24, if you've watched my teaching that I already did on this, Matthew 24 is in detail outlining it and there is no pre-tribulation rapture to be found in the entire chapter. So it would make no sense for Iranians to try and tell us there's a pre-tribulation rapture while, while quoting Matthew 24 because there's nothing in there like that. He is telling us there's tribulation and in Matthew 24, the, the rapture happens after the tribulation and that's why he's quoting Matthew 24 because it's after the tribulation, the contest believers will go through as he describes it that there's the rapture. I want to submit to you that there's also more evidence of him saying that this is going to be post tribulation, that this rapture takes place. Um, in the same chapter, in chapter 29, he, he says the following and he he writes about um, the Antichrist and he's describing the Antichrist figure that's and he's saying like it was with Nebuchadnezzar, you know, remember how they were everyone was commanded to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. He Iranius goes and he explains to us that in the day of the Antichrist, it will be the same. And he says that it will be like that for believers. He says this for that image which was set up by Nebuchadnezzar had indeed a height of 60 cubits, while the breadth was six cubits, on account of which Ananias, Azarias, and Mishael, when they did not worship it, were cast into a furnace of fire, pointing out prophetically by what happened to them, the wrath against the righteous. He's saying what happened to them is prophetically pointing to the wrath that will befall the righteous. Then he says, which shall arise towards the end of time for that image taken as a whole was prefiguring of this man's coming, this man being the Antichrist, decreeing that he should undoubtedly himself alone be worshipped by all men. So he is saying that there will be wrath against the righteous in the end of the age. It will be like the time of Nebuchadnezzar when they were people were thrown into the fire when they did not bow down and, and worship him. So will it be to the right with the righteous. Obviously, he has got the idea that there are believers, righteous people who are in the midst of the great tribulation because we know that the great tribulation and is is the environment of which the the antichrist occupies his realm his his um throne if you will where he starts doing his things so this is certainly not um this guy iranius is certainly not thinking that the believers will be escaping it because he is saying on the contrary like nebuchadnezzar they will go through it it's actually a prophetic picture that's what he's saying and that's not all. He goes on in chapter 30, the chapter after this, and he, he talks about the Antichrist more. And he says um, he, he starts explaining about how um, we will know who he is when he arrives and that we shouldn't make a lot of we shouldn't speculate um, too much in a rash manner beforehand, you know, saying this or that's the Antichrist unless we're sure. And he, he writes this. That when this man, the Antichrist, comes, we may avoid him being aware who he is. 
So he's explaining like, you know, where don't speculate, don't you'll know who he is when you see him. But why does he say we? He talks about them, he and his people, believers, born again, not unbelievers, not unsaved Jews or unsaved people or of any form. He's talking about them and he's saying we he's writing to people and he's saying don't make too many speculations because when he comes, we may avoid him because we will then be aware of who he is. Why would he say that we will avoid him? Uh, we we may avoid him if they're not going to be around to avoid him. If the, he believed in a preachable rapture where there's going to be they're going to be raptured up before they ever even need to worry about an antichrist. No, he he obviously believes they're going to be around in the time of the antichrist. That's why he's saying we should tr- uh, talking about avoiding him. That's why and that and that's why he believes that there's there he's going to be in a great tribulation and believers are going to be in a great tribulation. So, brothers and sisters, I think this this is just a little bit. I encourage you to go read some of this yourself. You know, I just kind of roughly dived into it here just to kind of get you, if you're interested, to get you pointed in the right direction, you know, to have a look at it yourself. I think it's so clear that from the scriptures, like the, the pre-tribulation rapture viewpoint, it really doesn't have a lot to stand on if we are willing to put our preconceived ideas and hopes aside, our hopes of escaping a tribulation, and be willing to go with an open heart and listen to what the scriptures plainly teach us. So please, if you haven't watched my other teaching on it, please go and do so. My biggest concern is, is that oftentimes people, and this is not all people, don't get me wrong, and, and I'm concluding with this. Um, my biggest concern is, you know, that we have this mentality, and I know that some have this mentality, that getting saved and asking Jesus to save us is all about this idea of a rescue mission, that we ask him into our heart, we ask him to save us, and now suddenly we're like refugees on this earth, hoping to just get to hoping to just escape, right? That's what some people, how they live their lives, they're just trying to escape this world. Instead, they don't understand that the, the message of the gospel of the kingdom that the Messiah brought was not one of escapism, but that you would go into the world, not escape it, but go into the world and manifest his kingdom, proclaiming the gospel. That's why we got the Holy Spirit, so that we can bring the kingdom of the gospel into this world and bring hope to the lost. And Many people, you know, they throw their hands up in the air and they're like, where are the miracles? You haven't seen miracles. If you haven't seen miracles, wait until the great tribulation. Wait until things get hard because miracles only have, well, they happen in environments where miracles are necessary. Miracles don't happen when we live in a perfect world where where things just go well with us. Miracles, brothers and sisters, I have seen miracles with my own eyes, beautiful miracles. And they're always in the midst of hardship. They're always in the midst of trouble. They're always in the midst of suffering. That's what a miracle is. That's why we call them miracles. That's why we hope for them. Because they bring us, they, they, are, they are hope for us. They bring us freedom, right? Or in whichever form they, they are. And so um, greater trial produces these greater miracles. Think of Israel, the splitting of the Red Sea. That happened. Why? Because they were being pursued by Pharaoh. If you feel like God needs to rapture you out because before you ever get pursued by Pharaoh, there will never be greater miracles. But God has equipped us with his spiritual gifts for a time like this to be able to manifest his Holy Spirit gifts and power in this world. And as things get harder, more and more, because the world's going to need it more and more. The the people of the Lord are going to need it more and more. We're going to need to be a light to the nations more and more. And that's why we shouldn't hope to just run away and escape things. We should hope to be able to be a light when things go down and it gets hard. Yes, God will protect us. You know, he, he, he will um, preserve us. He will and he will definitely, most certainly save us from the wrath. 
That is the very end when he comes with the fire, like he mentioned. You know, he talked about the fiery furnace and how he's going to come down in fire, like we just read in Revelation of the Messiah coming down and, you know, uh, bringing down that final judgment. He's, we will be in the air like we just read in Revelation. We're going to be up there. We're not going to be on the earth when that happens if you're in him. But God doesn't promise that you're never going to have a trial along the way. You're never going to have hardship along the way. You're never going to have the world around you crumble. But we have a hope that he and that hope is this, that he has overcome the world. That He is our hope. He is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in Him will be raised in the last day. That's our hope. And some of, most of us will die wherever, whether it's in your life, whether it's in a great tribulation, whether it's wherever, you're going to die. We're all going to die. But we all have hope of eternal life. And I think at least we can all, no matter what your position, this is not a stumbling block, whatever your position we can all agree on that. And that's what's so important is for us to keep that in mind. And if you're not convinced, prepare for a post tribulation rapture and you'll be the safest because um, you'll be prepared for the worst, if you will. But don't just prepare for a pre trip. Oh, I'm going to be out of here. I don't have to worry. I don't have to prepare. I don't have to get ready. I don't have to get myself ready spiritually to be able to be a light in that time because I'm not going to be here for it anyway. It doesn't matter. Think about these things, brothers and sisters. We have to be careful about how we position our emotional state, our spiritual state, how what our expectations are going to be. Prepare. That's what I'll say. So I hope that this short question and answers have blessed you. Um, and thank you for sticking through with me. May God bless you and keep you, shine his face upon you, lift up his counts upon you, give you shalom and blessings. And I'll see you guys in the next video. Have an amazing feast day season. I'll have some teachings out regarding the Feast of Trumpets for you all soon. Shalom, shalom.